We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is the third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You get to the New Testament. It's the third Gospel. It was written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts. He is a thorough examiner of the life and ministry of Jesus. He's a detail guy. Now, for those of you that want to fly at 35,000 feet, uh, Luke is a guy that flies at ground level. I mean, he's right in the middle of it. He's a detail guy. And this is the first instance, the first mention of the scribes and Pharisees in Luke's gospel. And you will notice, scribes and Pharisees never change. Now, I got to tell you, as long as I've been in ministry, I have spent a lot of time trying to get scribes and Pharisees to change, and I have discovered they don't ever change. Unless they get saved, they don't change. Religious people just become more ingrained in religion that justifies them not having a relationship. But I do this, and I do that, and I, and I attend church faithfully, and I, I do this, and I've got all these rules. In fact, I've got more rules than you, and they never meet Jesus because they get caught up in examining goodness by themselves rather than goodness by the grace of God. You and I can never be good enough to be saved. You can never do enough good works to be saved. It is only by grace through faith that we are saved. And so Jesus has this encounter and this incredible miracle, and these Pharisees are watching. L listen, can I just tell you something? If a lot of people got saved in Albany, Georgia, there'd be church members and churches all over this town to get mad. Because, you know, if some of them got a lot of new Christians in, the new Christians might outnumber them. They'd really get mad. Because then the new Christians start asking questions. Why do we do all this dumb stuff? Why don't we just go tell people about Jesus? Well, we, we got to do our dumb stuff. You know, we have a president who says we need to drain the swamp. Some of our churches need to drain the swamp. We got a lot of programs, but we're not seeing a lot of people saved. We ought to ask ourselves a question. If what we are doing is not contributing to the salvation of the lost and the discipling of the saved, why are we doing it? Oh, we're busy. But we may not be busy doing the right things. Luke 5, verse 17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him, that's Jesus, to perform healing. And some men were carried on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up to the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, that's important, we'll get to it toward the end. Seeing the faith of these men who brought their friend to Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven you or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Now these friends had their one and they brought their one to Jesus. They realized that Jesus was on the scene and they didn't want to miss him. This is important. We are driven in our culture by the fear of missing out. FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. It drives our culture. It drives our spending. It drives how we use our time. Everything about the fear of missing out is driving us. The problem is a lot of us as believers don't have a fear of missing out of doing what God says. But for the fear of missing out, we will go put on a credit card and pay 18% interest a new iPhone because it just came out. And we don't want to go to lunch with anybody and they've all got a new iPhone and we don't have a new iPhone. Because after all, owning the newest technology is how you're going to get to heaven. If you have the right password. And your password's not going to get you into heaven. There's only one password that's going to get you into heaven. That's the name of Jesus. So we'll go to a concert. We don't even like the artist, but we'll go. Because other people are going. We don't want to miss out. We'll buy tickets to an event. We'll go to a game. We'll get up at 4 a.m. on Black Friday to go shopping because we fear we're going to miss out on a microwave. I mean, we will do anything for the fear of missing out. I mean, we're scared that somebody will come back and say something, and we go, man, oh, wish I'd been there. Let me define the fear of missing out. It is the worry that one may miss an enjoyable activity, especially due to the fact that one often sees others documenting that activity on their social media. You know we didn't get to go to that because of you. We missed out. I don't think we should go to church today because we missed out on that, and that's what they're going to be talking about. You know, I don't see a move of God in churches in America today where there's a fear of missing church that we might miss God. Church is easy to miss. The numbers tell us that a person considers themselves faithful to a church if they come one out of four Sundays. Try that at work. Try showing up one meal a week when your wife prepares supper seven days a week. See how that works for you. You see, we don't have the fear of missing out that Jesus might be present and about to do something, but we have other plans. These men got on the same page with Jesus, and they brought their one 
to Jesus. They were on a mission. They were driven. They were focused. They didn't care what it would take to get their friend to Jesus. They had one thing on their mind, and they were not going to let anything or anyone stop them from getting their friend to Jesus. Now, don't forget, every venue, every business, every church has a mission. It might be stated or unstated, but they have a mission. They have a purpose. They have a vision. They have values by which they operate. I, I sent a post out a few weeks ago on, on Facebook about the 14 major apps that are stalking children in America today, trying to get information on families, get information on your children, on your likes. They are stalking. Many of them are stalking to try to expose your children to pornography and to abusers. And most of the parents that I know have never checked those sites and don't even know what's on their kid's phone. I've had parents say to me, well, that's their phone. Mm -hmm. Whose roof are they under? Whose car are they riding in until they can drive? Who's buying the car they're driving? Well, I don't want to invade their privacy. Well, everybody else in the world with a demonic agenda is invading their privacy. Why don't you invade it with a holy agenda? They're your kids. You're going to answer for them. Think about it. All social media has a mission. Facebook has a mission. I mean, you could look at, at one ad that pops up on Facebook, and then all of a sudden it shows up between every other post on Facebook. They're following your algorithm. They know, they know when you go to sleep. They know when you get up. They know how many minutes you're spending on. They know what pictures you're taking. Here's Instagram's mission statement. To capture and share the world's moments. You think, oh, I'm just sharing them with my friends. <laughs> Good luck with that. <clears throat> Snapchat has a mission is to provide an opportunity for young people and young adults and others to post nudity that disappears and can't be traced. Your kid got Snapchat on their phone? They take it off when they get home, put it back on when they get away? Hey, folks, your fear of missing out ought to be you may miss out on the fact that the world has an aggressive agenda for your lost friends and for your family and you're not heavily engaged in fighting spiritual warfare why do we so readily embrace the mission of social media companies and so easily ignore the mission of jesus for his disciples i mean oh yeah we add that app add that app my kids are always saying you ought to add this app dad I, I don't need one more app on my phone. Most of them I don't use. I don't need one more. I don't need to keep up with one more thing. Now, I've got an app that notifies me with Aaron and Haley leave home. I raised them to get them out of my house. <laughs> and I have an app that, that app notifies me where they are and what they're doing and when they get home. That's way too much information for me. 
I mean, I raised them and sent them out. God bless you. Call me if you need me. You know I mean, that's what parenting is, isn't it? That's, that's what I thought it was. I thought, you know, out of my wallet, out of my house, just out. <laughs> so Terry and I can enjoy empty nest, which is glorious. <laughs> Here's our mission as a church. Sherwood was established to touch the whole world with the whole word, motivated by passion for Christ and compassion for all people. Our values are reflected in this statement. Prayer leads us to love God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. Now, if that is not what's driving us as a church, to touch the whole world with the whole word, motivated by a passion for Christ and a compassion for all people, if prayer is not leading us to love God and to grow together and to serve others and to change the world, if that is not what drives us as a church, then we are doing secondary things and maybe giving them primary importance when they're not primarily important. We're letting the secondary become primary. And if we're not careful, we will just be in holy huddles talking to other people about how holy we are and never inviting a lost person into the presence of Jesus. God had a mission. God the Father had a mission for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the mission of God the Father to send the Son. God the Son had a mission, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. God the Holy Spirit has a mission that is in line with God the Father and God the Son, John 14, verse 8. And he when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Our mission is to go and to make disciples. What, what drives you? What's your purpose? How do you live in light of eternity? You know, there are no do-overs. There are no dress rehearsals. I mean, you just get this life. This is it. And what we do in this life either is wood, hay, and stubble, or it's gold, silver, and precious stone. The only thing that lasts for eternity are the souls of men and the Word of God. That's the only thing we take to heaven with us, what we've learned in the Word of God, applied from the Word of God, and the people that we've reached because of what the Word of God has told us to do. So what's your mission? What's your purpose? Too many people, their purpose is to make enough to retire. Well, then what? Then what? What comes after that is boredom. I mean, you can only go to the mountains, the lake, and go fishing so many times. And it is just the same old thing every time. Well, it looks just like it did the last time we were here. There's still the same fish in this pond that were here the last time we fished in this pond. Parenting. Well, my goal in life is to be a great parent. One day you're going to raise them, they're going to be gone, and they're, they're going to forget your birthday and your anniversary. 
You spent all your life and all that money and they forgot. But they call you when you forget theirs. Or they send you a text message and says, I don't want anything for my birthday but a gift card or money. See, we raise them to release them. If your goal is to be a parent, I'm going to promise you, when they are released, you're going to go in the tank because you've lived for your children, not lived for God. And then as a result of living for God, you've loved your children the way God loves your children because God loves your children more than you do. Is it parenting? I, I see some moms that are obsessed with being parents. Is it that you've got to be at every, every, every event that your kids are at? They can't go to camp. They can't go to Bible school. They can't go to Sunday school without you being with them because you don't want anybody else to be around your kids. Hey, they learn by being around other people. They may learn you're a better parent than other kids' parents are. They may learn you need to pick up your game. Is it your job? Is it exercise? Uh, you know, I get up and exercise, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm on my 95th diet plan. <laughs> hey, I, I've lost over 700 pounds in my life, just not at one time. <laughs> Is it exercise? I mean, one day you're going to go, I, I can't do that anymore. One day you're going to pick up the barbell and say, nope, not going to happen. One day you're going to get down to do a push-up. You're going to say to your loved one, could you help me get up off this floor? One day you're going to do a sit-up, and the only way you're going to do a sit-up is you bought one of those beds that tilts up. <laughs> and helps you sit up because you can't sit up anymore. Is it sports? Man, I, I want to play sports. One day, you're going to get out there and find out, you know, I'm not 15 years old anymore. I'm not 16 years old anymore. And you're going to keep trying and keep trying. I remember we had, uh, in, in the early 90s, we had a bunch of staff members playing basketball and pickup games on Wednesday night. David Smith, Tony Hayes, and Rob Davis all blew out knees in a matter of three months. I had to ban sports from guys that thought they could still play. You guys cannot play. You think you can play? You think you got game? You got no game. Go home. You're no good. You're hobbling around here on crutches. Well, you know, I thought I could drive the lane. You could 25 years ago. You can't drive the lane anymore. Just stop it. If our mission is anything other than to go and make disciples, to reach a lost world, at some point our mission stops because we can't do something anymore. But we can do making disciples as long as God gives us breath. As long as God gives us breath, we can make disciples. We can share the gospel. If we don't, then everything that we do will rust or decay or rot or be sold on eBay or in an estate sale because it won't last. I love what Jim Cimbala said. 
I despaired at the thought that I might lose my life and let my life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. Could it be that our lives could slip by without God showing himself mightily on our behalf? I'm not talking about everybody else's behalf. I'm talking about yours, your life. The person you led to Christ, the, the change that you brought about because you loved God and, and grew with other people and served and, and shared the gospel. What has God put in your life and in your heart that will change the world? These men weren't going to let anything hinder them from getting their friend to Jesus. They expected God to act. Here's what they thought. We get him to Jesus and Jesus will get him. You thought about that? If we get him to Jesus, Jesus will get him. Their job was to get their paralyzed friend who could not get there any other way. The rest was up to Jesus. They didn't worry about the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't look around and say, whoo, yeah, man, the religious hierarchy is here. We're going to stay away. They didn't worry about public opinion. They didn't worry about the owner of the house, about tearing the roof off. They didn't worry about anything. What mattered to them was Jesus. We have to get our friend to Jesus. They believed that Jesus could heal the man. And these men pictured Jesus healing this man. Aristotle said, the soul never thinks without a picture. But they had to do their part. They wanted their lame friend to walk. And they had heard stories about Jesus. Now they bring their friend to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Is anything driving you to bring your friends to Jesus? Your friends whose lives have been lamed and wounded and paralyzed by sin and they keep trying other things other than Jesus, what is driving you that you know that if I get them to Jesus, Jesus will? will act. Jesus will work. Our mission should be the same as these men, to see the lost saved, that God would use us to save these people. Listen, God didn't die to give us information. He died to bring about transformation. God didn't die so we'd sit in holy huddles. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did. They reasoned in their heart. They parsed all the verbs and the words and the verses and they analyzed and interpreted, interpreted them and argued about them and disagreed over them, but they didn't see God when he was right in front of them. They missed God. They had no fear of missing out on Messiah because they thought they had God figured out. These men didn't let obstacles stop them. They didn't let obstacles stop them. Now think about the obstacles that were in their way. Well, there's the crowd. There was a crowd. That'd be an excuse for some of us. Well, it's too crowded. Uh, th this is one. It's raining and all the close parking spaces are gone. Let's just, let's just go make a run for it at Cracker Barrel. We don't mind getting wet for chicken and dumplings. But for Jesus, that's too much. The crowd, oh, it'd be too many people. 
be too many people. Uh, somebody said to Jim McBride a couple of weeks ago, said, uh, you know, Sherwood's just too big. Just too many people. And Jim said, sit in the first ten rows and don't look back and you'll never know it. Word. <laughs> Getting the man on the roof. I mean, you know, they didn't have an outside stairwell. They had ladders and, you know, get the man on. How are we going to get him on the roof? That, that's up there a little bit. Uh, can't rent a crane. None of those around. Seems to be the only way to get there, but it looks like that's going to be a problem getting the man on the roof. So they just turned around and walked away. Uh, tearing the roof up. Anybody got any money to pay this guy back after we tear it? Go ask him if he's got insurance. We're about to tear a hole in this guy's roof. Go ask, uh, tearing the roof up. Oh, we don't want to tear that. We don't even know this guy. That could be another excuse. What if we drop him? Trying to get him to Jesus and we get him right there and then we tilt it and, and we drop him. Well, we don't want to drop him right in front of Jesus. We want to lower him in front of Jesus, but, but we don't want to drop him in front of Jesus. There's just no way to get him to Jesus, so let's just go home. And they're just carrying this stretcher. Can't you just see them? They were good Baptists. They're carrying this stretcher and say, well, we have good intentions to one day get you to Jesus and to tell you that Jesus can change your life. But today is not that day because it's not convenient for me. would inconvenience me to have to do this. Well, I'm sure one of them said, you know, I don't think it's God's will for him to meet Jesus. Because if it's God's will, we could just walk right in and laid him down in front of Jesus. And then Jesus would have known and, and he would have come out and said, well, come on in, I got space right here in front of me. Must not be God's will. I guess that door's closed. You see, for too many, an open door is church language for the path of least resistance. If it's easy, it must be God's will. If it's hard, it must be maybe not God's will. But the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that we believe as believers that we can hear the gospel over and over and over and over again and never share it with one person one time? If it's good news, we share it. I promise you, if you got a new baby or a new grandbaby, you're telling somebody there need to be some new babies in Christ. Let me just ask you a question. Hang, hang this on a hook somewhere in your mind. What would it look like if you tore a roof off so that somebody could get to Jesus? What would it look like? Would you have to inconvenience yourself or risk ridicule to tear a roof off so that someone could get to Jesus? These friends saw a double miracle. Not only, I mean, they just wanted their friend healed, but, but he was forgiven. He, he needed more than healing. He needed forgiveness. And Jesus offers forgiveness and says, which is easier, 
to say your sins have been forgiven or to say get up and walk? So he said get up and walk. And on the authority of Jesus, he forgave their sins. They, he was forgiven because their friends got him to Jesus. They didn't send a note. They got him there. Now, notice the text, and don't read too much into this, but don't read it out either. Because of their faith, the friend's faith, not the paralytic's faith, because of the friend's faith, that they believe so much in the power of Jesus to change lives, because of the friend's faith, his, friend, his sins were forgiven. Now, why is that important? Because your faith impacts other people. If you're not showing your faith, then how's anybody going to see that you have faith? Faith works. Faith talks. Faith serves. Faith gives. Faith goes. Faith invests in others. Faith is active. Now, we can't save anyone, right? I mean, I've never saved anybody. We can't save anyone, but look at this. But our actions, words, and unconditional love give people a chance to respond. We can't save them, but our actions and our words and our unconditional love for others, well, you don't know how bad they are. Jesus does. They're just as bad as you were before he saved you. Took just as much blood to save you if you were raised in church than it takes to, to raise somebody if they're in a bar, raised in a bar. Uh, Wednesday night at uh, Timothy Barnabas up in Gatlinburg, uh, Charles Lowry was talking and Johnny Hunt and Terry and I were sitting by each other. And uh, Charles talked about why we need to invest in other people. And he said, you know what? He said, Johnny Hunt was nothing but a pool hall punk until God saved him. Hey, you know, there's some pool hall punks in Albany, Georgia. And there's some bar dwellers. And there's some prostitutes. And there's some good families that never think about God. And it is our faith and our actions, our words, and our unconditional love toward them that gives them a chance to respond. Think, think about it. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are gone. Your sins have been removed. Your sin debt has been paid. Jesus fulfilled the law. We could never fulfill the law. Jesus takes away guilt. We can't get rid of guilt. Jesus wants us to bring our friends to him so he can change our friends' lives. I've got good news for you today. Jesus can change lives. It is understanding that there's none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the person is saved when they pray this. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me ask you, has God forgiven you? I didn't ask you if you were a church member. I didn't ask you if you'd been baptized. 
I didn't ask you if you were religious. I didn't ask you if you were Baptist. I ask you a simple question. Has God forgiven you? Well, if God has forgiven you, then wouldn't it be right for us to offer his forgiveness to other people? And to tell them good news? That Christ can forgive them too? You see, here's how the world thinks. The world thinks, oh, well, they're Christians because they're good. No, we're Christians because God's good. We're bad. We're a mess. We're Christians because God is good. Has Jesus changed your life? Has Jesus put a one on your heart that you need to share with and tell the love of Jesus? Uh, This uh, past Wednesday, I was having a CT scan, a uh, three-month checkup, and uh, this guy named Will came back to get me. And I mean, Will, Will was a dude, man. I mean, he was a dude. He was built like an Abrams tank. I mean, he had arms. I mean, I, did, I started to say, look, I don't need to come. Just pick me up over your head and carry me back there. I mean, this guy was a dude. And he came out and he said, come on. We got some work to do. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I, I go back there with him and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this right here. We're going to do this right here. And and I said, okay, all right. He said, come on, we got work to do. I said, all right. I said, Will, tell me, tell me about your life. He said, well, I've been a nurse for 31 years. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, most of my time I, I worked in ICU. He said, but I, I've been here since this place opened in 2004. I said, really? I said, what'd you do before that? He said, I was a combat medic. I said, wow. I said, where? He said, Iraq multiple tours he said you know I don't fly anymore he said I flew 18 hours to get to Iraq I said I'm never getting on another plane he said I don't take boats anymore I said why don't you take a boat you've never been on cruise he said I don't take boats anymore he said I came home on a boat he said you know my people last time we got on a boat we ended up in roots And before I could get another word out of my mouth, because I was about to just say, can I tell you some good news? I mean, before I could get it out of my mouth, Will looked at me and he said, are you a man of faith? And I said, yes. He said, you know what it means to be a man of faith, don't you? I said, no, Will, why don't you tell me what it means to be a man of faith? (laughs) I mean, remember, he's big enough to pick me up. And he's got me in a very vulnerable place. And so... uh, I said, why don't you tell me what it means to be a man of faith? He said, well, you know, God gave us eyes to see and hands to work and feet to walk. And he said, the way most people live is they think, as long as I've got eyes to see, hands to work, and feet to walk, I'm fine. He said, but one day you're going to get to a point where you don't have eyes to see, you don't have hands to work, and you don't have feet to walk. And at that point, you better have faith because that's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. Will. Come on now. Will. He said, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it does. Don't know what I've got to add to that. (laughs) So I got a brother who lives in Knoxville. He's a retired combat medic and a 
nurse. He sticks needles in people. And you can't fight him. But Will said something I need to say to you. Will said, God gave you eyes and he gave you hands and he gave you feet. And I'll tell you what else he said. One day those eyes are going to go out. And he said, one day you're going to keep clawing and clawing and clawing and scratching with those hands, trying to get something that you can never get, and that's peace. And you got feet take you places you don't need to go to do things you don't need to be doing, and one day those feet aren't going to work anymore, and then you better have faith. I want to ask you, do you have faith? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is the only way you're ever going to get to heaven? And when you walk out of here, if you know that, praise God. But when you walk out of here, you're going to run into people all this week that the only way they're operating is eyes to see, hands and feet. And they don't have faith. But you got a mouth. A mouth to tell them that there's a better way to live life. Not just to survive and endure. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. If you don't know that Jesus today, I invite you to know him now. Let's stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If you don't know him, I want to invite you to step out from where you are, even before we start singing. I want to invite you to step out from where you are and find one of these men at the end of the aisle and say, today I need to trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I need to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to miss out on heaven because I've just wasted my life on earth. It's never too late for you. The devil will tell you to do it tomorrow or to wait. Jesus says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you need to turn to somebody that's with you and say, you know what, I'll walk down there with you. I know, it, I know it's a long way to go, but, but I'll walk down there with you. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Today's the day. Now's the time. Somebody's prayed for you at this point. may not even be somebody in this room. They pray that today you would know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So as we sing, I want to ask you to step out and to come right now and to give your heart to Jesus today.